It's a Monday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And is anything happening, Jonesy? <laughs> My goodness. What a weekend. What a weekend in the world, period. And I'm not just saying the world of sports. The world, period. Um, folks, all I will say to start things off is stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, let's navigate through the next few days, let alone the next few weeks, uh, intelligently, responsibly, maturely, and uh, hopefully uh, with a, a, a steady mind, let alone a steady heart as well. And I, I, I think I can say I apply that to, to life in general, let alone to life in sports, uh, because we certainly will talk about uh, the number one topic that seems to be on everybody's mind uh, globally, let alone, again, in the sports world, Jonesy. The, uh, the rise of the Omicron variant and COVID-19 yeah. and the impact on pro sports. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you, as, as I did, spent a good chunk of yesterday watching the National Football League and, and uh, a bunch of games, some of which were uh, postponed and or pushed, canceled, uh, you know, re- reprogrammed or rescheduled till Tuesday. But still a bunch of games going on yesterday, other games around the association. But tonight's game against uh, the Orlando Magic postponed for the Toronto Raptors. We've got the National Hockey League postponing games, uh, you know, in Canada until after the Christmas break. So um, lots happening and just trying to navigate through the uh, uncertain waters right now is the best way to put it, I suppose. Yeah, it's it is the best way to put it. And, uh, you know, I, I know I talked to a lot of people and they feel like we've gone back to March 2020. I, I, I don't I don't think it's personally, I don't think it's that bad because we are more educated and we know a little bit more and people understand how to be safe or what things to do that we didn't know, you know, a year and a half ago. But at the same time, you still have to execute that stuff and, and carry it out. And, uh, um, you know, the, the good thing is some of the sports stuff as a distraction <laughs> is still going. And, you, you know, you, you would hope that that continues um, and they can play as much as they can to kind of keep things uh, oh, well, apply a little bit of levity, Eric. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so, because everybody could use a little levity right now, Jones. There's no doubt about that. And and I, I think that's part of the reason I mentioned as well, in the same breath where we're talking about uh, games being, you know, postponed and pushed aside and everything else. You know, most of us as sports fans probably sat and watched sports yesterday that, that, that were happening, right? whether it be in football, hockey, basketball, or, or, or otherwise. Um, and that's, I suppose, the... You know, the tough thing that I, I guess I'm battling right now. Well, Jones, you're happy, and, right? Well, well, first of all, I'm happy because the Bills won. Yes, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I'm not happy because we're not working tonight and we, we don't have the Raptors and Magic. Uh, I'm happy for Raptor fans that got a chance to see the Raptors win on the weekend, uh, you know, beating the Santa Cruz Warriors on, on the weekend. Uh, so that was certainly a, a, a good one for the, for the Raptors, no doubt about that. Um, but I guess what, what's making me unhappy or frustrated or perplexed is – uh, and this is where I will say I don't think it feels like March 2020, Jonesy, but it does feel it does feel like going backwards. Only in the sense that I can't understand if we are uh, overreacting, if the U.S. is underreacting, if if because I've been my life always been, and you can call me a nervous Nelly, whatever. I've always been the better safe than sorry guy. I'd rather be overly cautious, yeah. right? And then. And then look back and go, man, I yeah, didn't have to yeah. worry that much. Or, man, we didn't have to – as opposed to, oh, shoot, I should have thought more about this. Oh, my gosh, we should have reacted differently. Oh, what what we could have, would have, should have done. I'd rather overreact. But it's, it is it is it um, is difficult um, mentally uh, to even 
sit there and say, well, how do you go uh, in, in an everyday life conversation or how do you go on the air and say one thing and then turn off the microphone and kick back your feet and watch football for four hours? <laughs> And with it, without even a thought to the fact that there's 80,000 people in the stands, and then somebody might go, oh, well, it's outside. So, you know, of course, it's better than inside, which I suppose there's some relevancy to that. So it's 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 very, um, as I say, very difficult, very um, – there's a lot of misunderstanding on my part of, of what's right, what's wrong, and how everything is being handled. And I'm just trying to kind of say, you know what, I guess better safe than sorry. You can make up games later. You can make up time later. Why not just take the more cautious approach? And if it turns out that it wasn't needed or if it was a bit of an overreaction, then you know what? Whatever. You can correct it later on down the road. You can get in the games. But by the time the dust settles in April for hockey and for basketball and you can figure it out then, just buy yourself some time right now if you feel like you need some of that time bought. Yeah, you, you have to. Um, uh, and and I, don't, I don't think you're overreacting, E. I, th- I think it's always better to be uh, a little overcautious. I mean, look at look at what the NBA did in March 2020. One guy got it, and they shut the whole thing down, and they basically shut pro sports down because, as one of the leaders uh, in, in terms of sports leagues across the world, they were the first ones to shut down. Remember, baseball were still they were still carrying out spring training games, and you know the March Madness. They were still thinking about going forward with the tournament, and then all of a sudden, conference tournaments got canceled. The tournament was canceled. Everything shut down after that. So um, I, I, I think the educational part of it, um, and, and don't get me wrong, folks. I know some of you are out there saying, well, Jonesy, there's money involved. Yeah, there is money involved. And there are people's jobs involved. And we're not talking just about the players that make millions of dollars. There are those people that we see at the arena every night, e, the, the, you know, the ushers, the concessions people, the, 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 the people selling programs that, you know, we see and we nod to them and, you know, they say, hey, Ian, you, you say, hey, how's it going? Because, I mean, you may not know the person's name, but you see them every day at the arena when you go. So there's jobs for those people, too. And they I'll say they probably need it as much or more than the guy that's making six million a year on a, you know, in the last year of his deal because he's he's got some equity built up or, you know, he's he's got some other resources. So. You know, don't I, I know people are out there saying, well, Jonesy, there's money involved. I, I understand that. I, I understand that. But I think right now, you know, a league like the NBA and we look at what the NHL is doing, uh, you know, we look at what the Toronto Maple Leafs did. Uh, they're 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 cautious going forward, but they're not putting a full stop on things. It's kind of let's slow down a little till we find out if we can ramp back up or we have to shut it right down. So. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I, you know, you kind of, we, we've said it all along. We hate talking about this kind of stuff on the show, but it's, it's life. It's reality. It's what we're all dealing with. So, uh, let's not put our head in the sand and ignore it. Let's try to address it in a, you know, in a, in a mature, logical, uh, common sense kind of fashion. So, um, you know, away we go. And I, I, it was the one thing I thought of yesterday. Well, this, the world is going crazy right now, but my man Eric Smith is happy with the Buffalo Bills winning 31-14 <laughs> combined with the Pats lost on Friday. Like you are right in there. Although you got your Miami Dolphins nipping at your heels there, uh, Mr. Not Smith. Not worried about them. Not worried about them. Not worried about them at all. Oh, oh listen to you. Listen to no, you. Not worried about them. <laughs> all right. I'm sweating to right a, now. You know that, to right? A, with to my a, brownies. Two ain't got nothing. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yep. And your, your brownies what playing tomorrow now, right? Uh, no, tonight, five o'clock. 
Oh, I thought it was or tomorrow. Did they push I thought it, it was to, pushed Tuesday. to Tuesday. Wait a minute. No, maybe I'm wrong. I got to look that up then. I got to look. That. I thought it was tomorrow, but maybe it's tonight. It's a double 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 header tonight. Well, yeah, double header tonight. They're at five o'clock. Oh, five o'clock. Oh, even better. Even better. Finish the show. Go for a walk. You can have, have your dinner. Lunch, you can have your dinner in front of the TV, right? The, Damn right. Something Damn that your mother right. and dad never let you do. Have your dinner well, in front of the TV. I don't. I don't even. I don't think my kid knows anything about that. Every dinner's in front of the TV. The last two years, I'll tell you that. Um, all right, Jonesy, in the association. And listen, I'll, I'll quickly just piggyback on what you said. You know, people are tired of talking. As are we. But you can't not talk about it because when you look down at the schedule last night, there were. 10 games in the association, three were postponed right away. That's a topic of conversation, that three games were postponed. When we talk about the games and the results of the games, you now have to put on the caveat, yeah, but that team had nine guys missing. So, I mean, it's a part of the conversation now, and it's certainly impacting the outcomes and the standings and how you're project. I mean, listen, I made the joke about the Santa Cruz Warriors, but it's legit. No Steph, no Iguodala, no Andre, yeah. uh, or, or excuse me, Draymond Green, no Andrew Wiggins. Like that's that's a fact. The the fact that 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 Brooklyn was able to beat Toronto with only eight guys, and yeah, okay, one of them was KD. That was one that we were saying should have been a tick in the wind column for the Raptors because of how undermanned the Brooklyn Nets are. So it's it's a part of the conversation and, and will be for some time, especially Jones when you've got what fifteen, almost twenty percent of the league in health and safety protocols. That's that's a topic. I'm sorry, folks. That's absolutely a massive topic. It's the number one topic. And did you see what happened to the Brooklyn Nets uh, just the other day? Who they lost their last game to, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they get they get beat by the Orlando Magic, and I'm sure people are thinking, well, Orlando's got their big win, their signature win, or, or, you know, in the last game. They'll come into Toronto, and and uh, you know, the Raptors will get back to 500. All of a sudden, the game gets canceled. I, I know from the Warriors' standpoint, too, E, we talked about it, you know, Santa Cruz Warriors and six rotation guys missing. Um, it's, it is, I think it has become an issue coming to play in Canada uh, as teams have left uh, broadcast people. We talked to our man, Tim Roy, uh, the great voice of the Golden State Warriors on the radio. You know, he said he, he's doing the game solo. He left his broadcast partner on the other side of the border, was worried that if something happened or tested positive, he'd be stuck in Canada for 10 days. And yep. 10 days from now, uh, look, the Golden State Warriors have a big uh, big TV series coming up, right? They're, they're on Christmas Day. So they're not taking any chances. So they leave Steph and Draymond and, like you said, Wiggins and, Igadala, they, they leave six rotation guys, and one of them, well, Jordan Poole, is in protocol. So um, it, it, it's, it's, it's being smart. And, and I think um, the way our Canadian restrictions are has everybody looking at what happens when you come to Canada. I mean, the Golden State Warriors stayed on Saturday night, and for a lot of them, you know, and talking to people around the team and with the team, it was, hey, man, from the bus right back to the hotel, lock the room door. And wait till I have to get on the plane tomorrow morning. That's the way it goes right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and honestly, I can appreciate that. Like, I can understand where they're coming from. Because it's one thing to be, you know, stuck in a, in a different state. Even if you were stuck in California and you got to get back to New York. There's a way. Even if the way is, like, getting stuck in a, in a, in a van or a car and being driven across the country for three days. But if you're stuck on the other side of a border, that's an issue. Especially right now. Listen, I think it'd be an issue in October or in March, but if it's right before the holidays, and, and Jonesy, even putting the Christmas Day game aside, just being with family, 
for the holiday, for a day, for the 12 hours maybe you have a chance to be home before your next game or your next flight to the next city. I think that's a factor right now. So the, the fact that the National Hockey League uh, shut it down, I think, was a good thing if, if, if for no other reason than on a personal level that a lot of these guys then can know yeah. that even if they're at home with the under protocols or under watch or, or if they're lucky enough to be healthy and, and haven't been impacted yet, at least they've got that time with family and they don't need to be worried about potentially being in isolation or quarantine in a hotel room in another city in another country. I, I think that absolutely is a factor. Yeah. But, and I don't think you're saying this, and I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say this yet, I don't think there's any chance in my mind, unless this thing goes absolutely, completely sideways bonkers, I don't think there's any way that the Raptors are picking up midstream and moving back down stateside. I think that the worst-case scenario, and this is just nobody has told me this. This is just my gut. This is just my feeling. The only way that that – I I think the next step, Jonesy, would be, all right, you went from 100% capacity to 50% capacity. Maybe you get to a point where, like the Montreal Canadiens last week, where you're playing in an empty arena and there's no fans. I think that's the next move. And I don't know if we get to that point ever, and I hope we don't, but I think that's the move. Some people even tweeted at me on the weekend, do you think they're moving back to Tampa? No, I don't think that's happening. But I think the NBA does have to be smart with how they navigate this because it is a very unique situation being the lone Canadian franchise. Uh, and it's something that yeah. um, is a, on a grander scale in hockey because there's seven teams. But how do you even manage that? I don't think you're going to midstream go, okay, suddenly we're going to blow up divisions, all Canadian division again. I don't think you can do that, right? So you're going to have to navigate through this in a much different way. Well, you know, and I think the other thing, too, is when you postpone games, uh, you've got to wait for the venue to open up again. I mean, it was easier before because there weren't concerts and stuff like that. Now, you know, some of these buildings, I mean, you think about Scotiabank Arena, they had had hockey there yesterday afternoon. And who who knows what's going to happen with the Leafs coming up. And, And there are some dates that are already, you know, X'd out of the schedule. So, uh, you know, you postpone games and you've got to. You know, then you've got to find times to, to make them up. So, uh, I, I just you know let's let's go slow um, and and let's take it as it comes. And in in the meantime, whatever games are there, enjoy them. I I, I enjoyed watching Demar Derozan hit the game winner over LeBron James last night yes. for Demar. That 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 surely exercised some some ghosts and some demons because LeBron blocked the shot just a, a couple seconds earlier, no rebound. And then, and then DeMar, you know, king of the mid range pulls up LeBron. What LeBron had his hands in his pocket. He couldn't even challenge the shot. And it turns out to be the game winner. And again, I mean, we're going to have Brian Windhorst on in a little bit and, and we'll ask Wendy who knows LeBron and, and has kind of watched his career. Like what if, if he thinks I want to ask him if he thinks that, the king is losing just a little bit of a step. If things aren't just as high, look, he's still a great player, but they're just not quite as high a level as they they were in the past. And the Lakers sit, you know, they they sit in that that seven to ten uh, carousel uh, right now. And you know, the Raptors have jumped up. Uh, the Raptors have jumped up to ten. But it's all going to be contingent, Eric, as we said, going forward on. Who, what games are played and who's playing like that's mm-hmm. it's it's such a huge factor but it was it was nice to watch that last night as, as the bulls uh you know they continue to roll along and i'm sure demar kind of felt felt good about getting even a, a modicum a little measure of uh, i got you to uh to lebron james 
Yeah, DeRozan with 38 points, got to the line 17 times, missed only one, 16 of 17, 38 points, six assists, four rebounds. LeBron, 31 points, 14 rebounds, six assists. And your man, the league leader in MRIs, as you like to call him, Anthony Davis, out again. Uh, so he'll be out of the lineup for at least the next month for the Lakers. And Isaiah Thomas back in the league on a current 10-day right now, his second game with the Lakers, 13 points, and in the starting lineup. Let me ask you this, Jonesy. And, and, you know, revisionist history. I don't know for sure that the Lakers could have signed DeMar DeRozan. But there were certainly a lot of rumblings about DeMar wanting to go to the Lakers and, and signing with the team that he grew up watching and in his backyard, in his hometown, etc. There were certainly lots of chatter about bringing back Caruso. And then you look across the court last night, both of those dudes in a Bulls uniform, not a Lakers uniform, and I know this is fantasy game, and I know that the, 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 you know, the, the salary cap and the payroll and everything else played a factor, but if you had enough money to bring in Russell Westbrook in, in a trade and you could sign you know, Carmelo Anthony and then bring in a, a whole bunch of other pieces around, there was a way to work it. There was a way to do it. And even if it meant paying a tax, I'm sure you could have done it. So what I'm about to ask you. You're the Lakers. Again, re- yeah, you're revisionist the Lakers. history. Tax. Would yep. you rather have right now, Jonesy, would you rather have – Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, potentially Buddy Heald, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and others. Those five guys that I just mentioned, Spencer Dinwiddie, maybe? Would you rather have those five, six guys or Rondo, Mello, Westbrook, Jordan, like, all big names, all good players. I'm not here to dump on them, but older guys that maybe don't fit as much of a role or as much of a slot as Jonesy, the blueprint to me for LeBron James in his career, in his career, Miami, Cleveland, Lakers. Yes, have talent around him, and it sure as hell helps when you have Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Anthony Davis when he's actually playing. But what's the formula? Surround LeBron James with shooters, reliable shooters, because he's going to draw in at least two, if not three, four defenders damn near every single time. And to his credit, he's been an unselfish superstar that's been willing since day one to give up the ball and to trust his teammates. There are not a lot of shooters on this Lakers team, right? That, to me, is one of the biggest flaws. Forget the age, forget Westbrook, forget everything else. They don't have a lot of shooters. And if you don't have shooters, I don't know if you're going to have success. On any around team. LeBron James, you need you, around LeBron around James. Around you need, LeBron. Yeah, yeah. You need shooters, and here's what I'll say: You mentioned the guys they could have had, with the exception of Demar. None of those guys need the ball, and Demar would probably exactly. be a guy that would would be okay being having the ball secondarily, like after LeBron, or or with the second unit when LeBron was on the bench. And, and and two of the guys that you mentioned that they have now, well, Rondo's not even playing, but he needs the ball in his hands. He runs an offense, and so does Westbrook. Russ has had it in his hands his entire career. So I don't think they're a great fit. And, and to me, I'd rather have those pieces, uh, especially a guy like Caruso who will play defense for you and, and Pope. And, and, and Kuzma, who can reap. Like, I'd rather have those guys. If you're asking me, I'd rather have those guys. They're not spectacular names. Like, I'm okay with Melo. Melo's good 
with LeBron. He he doesn't need the ball. He's he's a he can play catch and shoot. He can go if you throw him the ball in the mid post or in the mid range. He's still got the killer one on one stuff. He can get you a bucket like that. But he doesn't. He's he's morphed in his career from a guy that doesn't need to be the center of the offense to a guy that can be a complementary piece. And he's shown that. He showed that. He showed it in Portland. He's showing it in L.A. But I, I just I I just think there's some personnel decisions there that. Uh, that the Lakers that the Lakers slipped on, and and now when you don't have everybody healthy to play together to at least figure it out, it makes it even more difficult. So, to your point, revisionist history. I'd have gone I'd have gone the other way, but that's just me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. To me, at the time, it was a bit of a no brainer as well. The the one thing that made me nervous, and I, and and again, this isn't revisionist revisionist history because I I, I feel like we spoke about it at the time as did a lot of people and again not here to dump on the guy it's a fabulous talent the 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 success and the numbers speak for itself and and speak for themselves I didn't think that Russell Westbrook was the right fit as a player for that team but I also didn't think he was I shouldn't say not worth but the risk was not worth it for the haul you were giving up for for all of the for all of the rumor and the chatter that there was out there about how gun-shy the Lakers were to get into any sort of trade last year with uh, Horton Tucker, they seemed quite willing, quite easily willing, to just poof, give up three pieces in a trade for Russell Westbrook. Like, unless I'm missing something, I think Horton Tucker's a hell of a player, and maybe he's got a chance to be a great player. But what I've seen so far is, yeah, he's good, but do I see yet, like, future all-star no I don't I don't know if you do but hey if, and if he proves me wrong and, and again I don't even know if I'd be wrong Jones I'm not saying he won't be I just don't see it yet but any deal at the deadline whether it was for Kyle Lowry or otherwise nope non-starter we're not giving him up in the offseason nope non-starter we're not giving him up but the minute you had a chance to go get Russell Westbrook a guy's been bouncing around the league and a guy who everybody knows is a hell of a talent but it comes with certain flaws and that's who you pegged as a guy that you're willing to give up like 15, 20% of your roster for, and the depth alone, let alone the players themselves, that was a tough call, man. I, I did not agree with that at the time. And, you know, hey, Russ flirted with a triple-double last night and shot damn near 50%. Good game for him, 29-8. and eight, But I'm not sure, and again, I'm not trying to dump on him, not trying to make it sound like he's the, 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 the main issue with all the Lakers' problems, but I just don't think he was the right fit for that team. And it's... It's 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 bizarre to look at the standings and see the talent that that team has, and they're 16 and 15. And I know they've had injuries to deal with, but yeah, almost every team in the league has had to deal with injuries and or COVID this year. So I don't know if that's a caveat that we can well, talk about that much anymore. Here's the thing that I would say, and this is the the one, as you say, uh, the one caveat, the one uh, footnote, denotation that we should make. When you get to a seven-game series, now mind you, they're in the play. Yep. <laughs> they're yep. in the, right now, they're on a, they're on a one-game series. But <clears throat> when you get to a seven-game series, I don't care who you are, you do not want to see LeBron James. Um, and and you know if they have uh, you know ten days to try and figure prepare and try and figure you out, and you're the sole focus. It makes it a whole lot different. He's tough to beat. He, he I mean, it's tough to put him out. Um, so if you're the Lakers, you're, you're just, 
you're trying to get to that point, but um, they may not get there. You know, it's 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 one of those that, you know, you you see it all the time in in uh, you know in in individual sports like, you know, like a guy can't beat, you know, a guy can't the Federer can't beat a certain guy, but you know that guy has a or that guy has a problem getting to Federer in the tournament, right? Like it's 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 the luck of the draw, and uh, if you're the Lakers right now, the luck of your draw is. Hey man, you're a game above 500, and you're very close to you know the bottom of the line. Like you're you're three games up on a team that's out of it in in Portland, and there's four teams in between. It, it's not that it's not that far in terms of slipping. Now people will say, well, you know, they're only three games out of fourth. Yeah, but those guys up in fourth are playing well, and it's it's a it's a different story. So. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of sitting back and watching and we'll see if the Lakers kind of get any momentum going forward. I mean, they're, they're so disjointed right now. And there's all these rumors about around Frank Vogel and how hot his chair is. And he's just working with the roster he has. Mm-hmm. I mean, people will say, well, you've got to do better than that. But he's, he's cooking the best meal he can with the groceries he has. Like that's, that's all you can say right now. And is it the coach's fault? No, but, um, you know, if the front office thinks he can do better and they have done a good job with the pieces they have, then he's going to be moved out. So it'll be interesting just to keep an eye on the Lakers uh, the rest of the way. And, and, uh, you know, Eric, I look at the East too. Like I look at the standings in the East. Those teams that were really making noise last year, uh, New York, Atlanta, they're they're below the line right now. Yeah, I know we're only a third of the way in, but they're below the line. They're not sneaking up on anybody. People are preparing for them. You know, Philadelphia is missing Ben Simmons. They're a game in front of the Raptors at five hundred. So are the Celtics, right? Like, I mean, it's in the East. You look at Toronto. They're a game out of they're, sixth. They're a game out of sixth, and it's and it's even in the loss column. Mm-hmm. It's even in the loss column. So, you know, a, cu- a couple of postponed games, uh, one of them Chicago, but if you at home and they're playing better at home now, if you win those two, all of a sudden you're you're at a spot where you're sitting there and you have a playoff spot. So the East is going to be the East is going to be fun to watch all the way home. But as you said, we have to consider uh, who's in the lineup, you know, who's going to play, who isn't going to play and and the way. You know, health and safety protocols are impacting uh, games all the way through. Well, I know you like to look at the loss column, and, and justifiably so. If we look at the loss column, the Raptors are two back in the loss column, or two ahead, depending how you look at it, of the fourth-place Bucks. Yeah. Milwaukee's got 13 losses. The Raptors have 15 losses. Milwaukee's played 32 games. The Raptors have played 29. Like, well. It's it's bonkers My, right now. And how about last night? Miami goes out and loses to the Pistons, who had lost fourteen yeah. in a row. Somewhere the Raptors are saying, "Thank you, we're not yeah. we're not Detroit's won five games." But you know, my my sports mentors have always told me, "You look at the loss column because you can gain in the win column. You can't necessarily do anything about their loss column unless they do. Uh, right. So you can only control your win column." So. I mean, it's 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 the popular thing. I mean, that's the way I was taught when I'm looking at stuff. Look at the loss column. Like you look at the Charlotte Hornets, 
they have 16 losses. They played three more games than, than the Raptors, and they have one more loss. So, I mean, if Toronto makes up those three games and wins them all, they're 17 and 15. That's ahead of 16 and 16. So you like I like I was always told you can't impact another guy's loss column another team's loss column unless you're directly playing them. So um, you know that's the one, and it was baseball that taught me that. My my old man being a Dodger fan, like I don't because uh, I asked him the whole thing about what's a half a game, Dad? What's a half a game? And then he, you're not going to like to hear this, E, but he went into math. He said, take the oh, difference. Hold on, hold on. Okay, go. <laughs> he said, take the difference between the wins and the losses, add them up and divide by two. Sometimes you got a half in there. Like, oh, okay. So like a win isn't a half game? And he said, no, it's, yeah, it's a half game if the other guy's not playing. Then, you, then you've got a half game to make up or to lose. So he said, watch the loss column. I'm like, I got you. Where, I got you. Where was Hugh? Where was Mr. Jones when I needed him? You know, he, if he taught me math that way, then maybe I would have understood more. All right, add up the well, wins, e, add the losses, I will, divide by two. Okay, there we go. Got it, got it. I will, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Uh, and with all due respect to the young ladies in my grade, middle school grade classes, they were smart enough to figure it out. The guys need a little more help. So when we got to percentages, it was all baseball averages, man. Especially that part of the year in the spring. It was all, you know, fractions. The guy's three for 10. That's 300. He's an all-star. Like, it was, it was all... It was all relatable, like, you know, uh, put money on the table when we're talking about integers, <laughs> like just don't, don't even, try to make it please relatable. Please don't even mention the word integers to me. My goodness, Jonesy, it's a Monday morning, man. I haven't even had a coffee. Yeah, but e when, e, when you're talking about the red and the black, that's that's the way you do it, man. That's I guess, the way you do it. I guess. All right, just very quick. You're good with money. Yeah, well, yeah, because I'm cheap. See? Hold on to it. <laughs> how about how about the brown and the orange, Jonesy? The brown and the orange instead of the red and the black. This this coming across quickly and and just diverting from basketball for one second. The only player that the Browns officially activated from the reserve slash COVID nineteen list today was safety John Johnson the first. They did not activate either quarterback Baker Mayfield nor Case Keenum leaving Nick Mullins in to start today against the Raiders. Good luck, Jonesy. We're gonna, I think we're, we're going to be seeing uh, a whole lot uh, of the run games. This like is going to be like, Hopefully it's be like Patriots. It, yeah. <laughs> nine nothing. Hopefully it's nasty and it's muddy and we can just give the ball to Nick Chubb all day. Give yep. it to Nick. Give it to Nick. Yep, yep. All right, well, we're, we're going to give it to Brian Windhorse when we come back. We're just going to turn it over to him and let him talk for 20 minutes because there are only a few topics to discuss in the NBA. And uh, one of the best, yes. Brian Windhorse from ESPN, will join us next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Paul Jones, Eric Smith with you. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us on the line right now, we always appreciate the time and the insight from ESPN, ESPN Insider, Brian Windhorse. Brian, thanks for the time today. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Brian. Um, just a, just a few things going on around the association. Uh, it's 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 interesting, Brian, trying to navigate right now what is what is happening in the league, what is happening with the the Toronto Raptors and so many other teams. Raptors uh, scheduled originally to play the Magic tonight. That game being postponed. Three postponements last night. Brian, um, listen, I, I'll, I'll throw you a bit of a softball off the top. Maybe 
How do you think the league has handled things so far and, and will continue to do things attempting to navigate their way through the, the rising numbers across North America, across the globe? They're going day by day. Um, you know, I think they hope that this is a storm that passes in a couple of weeks. A huge percentage of the league has already tested positive. I think we're in the neighborhood of 20% since the start of the month. About 15% are in protocols right now, but obviously a whole bunch of players went in and have come out. And the thing about this is, this is a, this is a difficult statement that you can use against me, but you're going to have to just give me a little leeway. For the NBA, and I'm going to say this again, for the NBA, this has not been a health crisis yet. Because the majority of players, the the big majority, are either experiencing mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. And so for them, it's about managing the situation. Fortunately, they are not dealing with players getting very sick. And that is framing the way that they are going about this. This is why people are saying, oh, my gosh, they're going to have to shut the league down. And 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 the league is not saying that because the players aren't getting very sick. Now, obviously, players can get sick and make other people sick. That's clear. That's a reality in our world. But if you're looking at what the menu is sitting on Adam Silver's desk, it's managing the reality that teams are being treated differently right now because of the rules, and it's hemming the league in a little bit, and they're trying to figure all this out on the fly. So, so Brian, for me – and, I, and I, Eric and I were talking about this before you came on. I think that the education and the stuff that the league and the world has learned since March 2020 has allowed, well, the NBA, the NHL, even there are, even though there are, uh, you know, adjustments being made in the schedule and and in you know in games and in travel and all of that. I think the education, the things that they've learned, have allowed them. To move forward like this, as you said, um, in March 2020, one player got it and basically shut down all of sports. It's not the case right now because we're still playing with people in protocols that that have the virus. Yeah, I mean, there's probably many. I would probably guess dozens, but there's probably many NBA players who are playing right now who have COVID. Um, and so how do you manage all of this? It's, it's a very difficult thing. It's, I know that it can feel disconcerting and scary when you see every 15 minutes another player testing positive, but the league is just trying to manage the situation based on what they're, what they're feeling in actually out in the field with the teams, what their teams are telling them. And so Right now, if the teams are not being tested on a daily basis, unless a player on their team has tested positive. So if a player tests positive, then the whole team gets tested. All of a sudden, you can go from one to eight, you know, very fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if nobody is symptomatic, it's possible that a team could have five, six, seven players asymptomatic with COVID, and they just go ahead and keep playing, whether another team only has maybe one player with symptoms, but six guys or five guys asymptomatic that are in the protocol. 
And so you say, oh, boy, Team A is, is, has no problems and Team B is in big quote-unquote trouble when really they're both kind of the same. And this is, again, as you said, it's a different situation than we've had. Almost, almost every player has had some level of vaccination. The, the, we know so much more about this, and the hope is that Omicron isn't as severe, although we don't know yet. But all of these things are in play. So anybody that takes an extreme position, like don't test at all or shut the whole league down, extreme positions are not what the order of the day is here. Managing and learning and trying to get day-to-day is what the league is doing. Speaking with Brian Windhorst from ESPN, uh, Brian, I think that's extremely well said and, and probably the, the most succinct and, and, and easy-to-understand explanation, I think, that uh, at least I've heard from a lot of people. So I appreciate you saying that. Brian, in, in saying all that, too, how much of this is the league also trying to navigate through the next week specifically and now less than a week to get through to Christmas Day. And then, all right, come Boxing Day, well, we call it Boxing Day in Canada, come the 26th, let's figure things out then. But, man, there are millions upon millions of dollars wrapped up into five games on Christmas Day. Yeah, they're going to play those games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just passed the new, they just passed the new uh, rule where teams can just keep signing players. Just keep signing them. Uh, how many you need, just keep signing them. Uh, you know, could there be a game on Christmas Day where we see three starters of our temporary players that won't be with the team after that? That's, yes, that's possible. Those games are getting played. And, um, you know, the league at the end of the day is delivering a product. Um, they have, you know, their deal is that they will present the game. The game will be played. Um, ESPN and ABC's deal is they'll put the game on television. And they will fulfill that end of the contract. That is very clearly going to happen. Um, is it a bummer that we're not going to have the star players on the premium day? Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, but, you know, when you talk to people in the league, they'll tell you, look, if Christmas Day is, is a ratings disappointment, but we get through this period right now and the players remain not getting very sick and everybody – um, gets the antibodies, and we can go into the spring and feel like we're not going to have this happen in the playoffs. Maybe it's not the end of the world, and no one will come out and say that on the record. But that's one reality that exists right now. Well, uh, well I guess we'll get ready, Brian, for the your Billy Ray Bates uh, Sunday at a Games moment on uh, on Christmas Day. If if some of the some. Some guys are signed out of nowhere to play for some big name teams, and and to me, speaking of big name teams, and you've you've known LeBron James and covered him since he was a high school kid. What do you think is going through his mind right now as we continue to look at the Lakers? And uh, you know, last night Demar beats him on a last second shot. Um, Anthony Davis is going to be out for a while. What what do you think is going through LeBron's mind, and what do you think is going on with the Lakers? And how they try to figure this out as we are now probably a third of the way through the season. Yeah, you know, they, um, they're kind of they're, they're, they're upset because they had really just started to get some traction before this road trip. They had um, played a, a span of about 10 games where they were the number five defensive team in the league, and that's really what their problem has been. Um, you know, they've been a top three defensive team for the last couple of years under Frank Vogel. 
And, uh, you know, six weeks into this season, they were like 23rd. And there's just no way to go. Uh, there's no way to be successful uh, when you can't defend uh, for a team like that. And so they actually were getting better. You know, they were making some progress and moving things in the right direction. And then they have this setback with Anthony Davis. And obviously that sort of derailed the momentum that they've had. Now they, they lost the last two games of this trip. And, you know, they're hovering around 500. They do play eight of their next 10 games at home. And so that is a big advantage. And they need, you know, they just got Trevor Ariza back yesterday for the first time all season. And the, the hope is that they can move through this, uh, this period um, without uh, getting anybody else infected and they can get their players back and that they can get on some momentum. Because after that 8 out of 10 at home, they've got, if not the toughest, maybe the second toughest schedule in the league after that. And so the real thing that's happened as, as they decided to take this great defensive team that they had and flush the roster and had a big step back defensively. Um, they, they wasted this early season favorable schedule. I think they've got the 28th easiest schedule. So third easiest schedule, I guess you could say. 28th hardest, third easiest. And they're one game over 500. That is not what they needed to do. And that is a tax that they paid by flushing their whole roster of a team that knew how to play defense together by you know not spending on Alex Caruso. That is a penalty they've paid, and then we will find out come March or April how bad that's hurt them with where their draw is in the postseason. You know, Brian, it's interesting you, you mentioned that, and Jonesy and I, before you came on, we were talking, and I just presented the, you know, and, and Brian, I, I gave Jonesy the caveat. This is Monday morning quarterback. This is absolutely revisionist history, but, hey, this is what we do a lot of the times in sports. You mentioned Caruso. I don't know if DeMar DeRozan truly was or wasn't in play for the Lakers, but he certainly had visions of maybe going back home. There was rumblings and chatter about healed. He gave up, you know, a bunch of solid pieces for Russell Westbrook. How different might this team look with Caruso, with Kuzma still, with Caldwell Pope, maybe with a DeRozan and or a healed as opposed to what they have? Like how much different would this team be right now? Eric, I thought the trade for Russell Westbrook was – was in a borderline insane decision. And uh, it's not revisionist <laughs> history. I thought it was insane in the moment. And, and a lot of people who work in the NBA thought it was insane. Now, the, the players, some of the players, especially players who played with Westbrook and really liked him, they loved it. They, they saw a possibility of those three playing together, and they got very excited and that's obviously what LeBron and AD saw because LeBron and AD were the drivers of it. But there were scenarios in play, and I don't know if they could have pulled it all off, just to be clear. But there were scenarios in play where they could have wound up with Buddy Heald and DeMar DeRozan. Now, maybe that wouldn't have made total sense because they both kind of play similar type positions. Um but, the, you know, as you watched DeRozan at the end of that game, he was basically playing point guard for the Bulls. I mean, I know Lonzo was out there, but DeMar was yes. bringing the ball to court. And DeMar is also, we really see, I know he did a little bit with Toronto, but when he went to San Antonio, he really became a playmaker. Um, you know, the, the concept that, you know, the, LeBron needed Westbrook to, to handle the playmaking, I didn't see how that didn't, how that, uh, didn't make sense to get DeMar. Um, 
you know, and and I thought the Bulls probably paid a little bit too much for DeMar, but um, that clearly isn't the case. He's going to be an all-star and an all-NBA player candidate for sure. And so, yeah, I I mean, here's the thing that people, um, I think, misunderstand. People misunderstand that they think it was Buddy Heald or Russell Westbrook, like it was path A or path B. But you have to understand, the Lakers traded four pieces, three players and their first-round pick, to get, and, and then sacrifice Alex Caruso. So it's almost like five pieces. But they traded four pieces for Westbrook and let the, a fifth piece walk for nothing. If they had traded for Buddy Heald, they would have only needed to use two of those pieces, and they would have had three pieces left. And he could have kept them and kept playing, drafted a guy, or, or, or kept Caldwell Pope and Kuzma, or however the deal was going to be. Or they could have used those other three pieces in a separate move, whether that was for DeMar DeRozan or for another player. And so, and, and people think that, that, that Frank Vogel got onto the hot seat when the Lakers made that, you know, when the Lakers had that difficult start. Frank Vogel was on the hot seat the second that trade was consummated. Within the league, it was a, yeah. when, when, my, when my phone lit up after the, after the, the trade, it wasn't like, wow, can you believe that they got Westbrook? It was, boy, Vogel's in trouble. That's what the people in the league were talking about. And so yeah. when yeah. we get to the spring, LeBron might be able to poke me right in the eye and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Because we have seen the last two years that Westbrook with new teams has taken off in the back half of the season. And that could happen. But LeBron's teams have spent the last 15 years trying to get people that were the exact opposite of Russell Westbrook. Those teams have clawed and scraped and scrounged and begged and pleaded and, 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 and scavenged the league for guys who could spread the floor and shoot to create space and defend. That's the, LeBron has a handful of rings with players like that, including the players that were the Lakers just traded away to get Westbrook. And they went directly across the grain to get it. And whether they could have gotten to Rosen or not, that decision was a very strange one to me. Well, to me, to me, Brian, and look, you point a number of things out that, that in my own mind, uh, first of all, if you have DeMar DeRozan on your team, he's not beating you on another team, right? It's the old John Wooden. He, he might have the... 10 All-Americans, you can only play five, but the other five aren't somewhere else beating me. So if the Lakers had him, you know, he wouldn't be beating them. Second of all, I think he's more adaptable and pliable to an off-the-ball role than Russell Westbrook is. And as you pointed out, yeah, Russ's teams have really taken off towards, you know, March and April and at, at the end of the year. But that's after learning to play with him for an entire year with the ball in his hands. He's never going to... In my eyes, with LeBron around, he's never going to have the ball in his hands as much for his teammates to learn that way. Unless, of course, he's playing with the second unit all the time. He's, he's, he, that's, that's not going to happen. So I, I just think that the Lakers, they're, they're going to have to do something at the trade deadline. I don't know if anybody will take Russ, but as you said, they're going to have to get some people to help LeBron or else, uh, well, Frank Vogel's going to be gone and this thing's going to, this thing's not going to get off the ground and, you know, they're going to be stuck in a play-in and a, maybe a one-game scenario, and it, it could be a disastrous year in L.A. 
I still think there's a window for them to make this work. But it's going to take a real perfect set of series of events to do it. They have gotten better defensively. In theory, if they get healthier, they'll have some more offensive weapons. And when AD and LeBron play the two big men positions, power forward and center, there's a there's a, a way that they can play where they can be successful. But their their margin for error, what has to happen for them to to win is pretty narrow. And that's narrowed since they made the Westbrook trade, in my opinion. But I don't know. We'll see. I would not write them off, but I definitely don't no. think that the that Chris Paul or Steph or Steph Curry woke up this morning saying, "Boy, what the Lakers do yesterday?" They're not worrying about him right now. Hey, Brian, we always appreciate your time. I'm going to keep you thirty seconds longer here for one last question. I just want to circle back to, unfortunately, to where we started with all the COVID stuff. I thought it was worth getting uh, your take, your impression, your analysis on Toronto specifically, the lone city, the lone franchise outside of the U.S postponements of games already for the Raptors in the National Hockey League. Canadian NHL teams have been shut down until after Christmas. How much do you think the border and potentially being stuck in Canada and having to isolate or quarantine in Canada is making things much more difficult for uh, the 29 other teams to perhaps navigate through what's coming in the next couple of weeks, couple of months as we plow forward through everything we discussed earlier? That's a geopolitical question. That's not a question that's going to be answered by the NBA. Um, That comes down to what the border restrictions are and stuff like that. Um, I can tell you that the biggest thing for the league in the next few weeks or months is going to be what these cities do with these indoor venues, if they're going to keep having fans come in. Obviously, Toronto has put in certain rules that's making it difficult for teams. But just this morning, Boston announced similar rules to New York City uh, about having people have vaccine mandates to be able to perform. And all of a sudden, I think we're going to be faced with some Celtics. I'm not sure that team is fully vaccinated. And whether that rule comes in in Toronto, whether it comes in in other cities, um, you know, That's going to be a big thing. As these mayors try to handle this and they make sweeping decisions, there's going to be some ancillary issues that are going to affect NBA teams. And the first domino is today with Boston. I'm telling you right now on Monday morning, nobody's paying attention to it yet. Boston Celtics just had a very big curveball thrown at them. You watch what happens, and you watch what happens in other cities, particularly cities that are on the coast that have uh, left-leaning politicians who are going to be more proactive. You watch. This is going to be something that's important. Hmm. Brian, always appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for joining us, and happy holidays to you and yours. As well as you guys. Take care. Thanks, Brian. Brian Windhorst from ESPN, ESPN Insider. Always appreciate his time. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Paul Jones, Eric Smith with you. Thanks again to Brian Windhorse for joining us. We're going to have Gemma Malalela joining us in a couple of moments, assistant coach with the Golden State Warriors. Jonesy, wanted to mention as well last night, we, we were talking about some of the games in the association. We briefly touched on Detroit uh, beating Miami and ending a long skid. 
Phoenix with a monster victory over Charlotte, putting up 137 points after seven games out of the lineup. Devin Booker back in and uh, certainly performing well. But another team that I just wanted to quickly highlight before we go to JAMA, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and their game yesterday was postponed against the Hawks. I, I'm telling you right now, save this and throw it in my face later. I'm still not buying it. I'm not saying they're not a playoff team. I'm not saying that they're going to be on the outside. I'm just saying I don't buy what they're selling right now. And 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 I'm 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 fully prepared to be wrong. I'm fully prepared to eat crow. They're 19 and 12. They've won 6 in a row. They're the third seed in the East. I'm still not buying it. You? I'm buying. Okay. Let's, let me put a caveat on it. I'm buying for I'm buying for the regular season. I'm buying until April. Uh, they have a lot of young guys in key places that have not uh, had playoff experience or know how different playoffs are uh, with the likes of, you know, um, Darius Garland and, and, and Evan Mobley and, and even, even Jared Allen, like the, 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 when he was with Brooklyn, they didn't go that far. I mean, he's had a taste, but, um, you know, Lowry Markkinen, they, they, they they're, they're, I don't know if they're built for the playoffs, but I am buying what they're doing in the regular season because part of it now, E, is their confidence. They believe in what they're doing, and it's proven them to get them to the third seed right now. And when somebody's confident, it's hard to take that away from them. It, it, it's, it's tough to replant the seed of doubt, especially if they've had success with what they're doing. So I, I'm buying it till April. Uh, when we get to April, we walk into a new store and I'll see if we're, I'm going to buy anything else. But right now, I, I don't know how you can, like, you know, the old Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. And they're, you know, they're two and a half games out of, out of being the top seed. And they've won a lot of close games. Uh, they beat some good teams. And I think that feeds into their confidence. E, and they're, they're going to be. They're going to be tough with the way they play and how they believe to slow down, I, I, I think. I'm not saying they're not going to slow down, but I, I think they're going to show pretty, pretty solidly uh, through, through the regular season, uh, unless there's injuries or you find a way to plant that seed of doubt in their minds. All right. Well, I can tell you I know what we're both buying. I, I know for a fact I can bring you into this conversation too. We're buying the Golden State Warriors for all the reasons you just talked about Cleveland and the inexperience. How about the experience of Steph and Draymond? And oh yeah, by the way, Clay Thompson set to return to twenty-four and six, sitting in second, just a half game back of the Suns. Uh, you know, Steph Curry putting on a show this week, making history. They were just in town against the Raptors, and unfortunately a bunch of pieces missing, and, and the Raptors got the victory. But uh, joining us on the line right now, a man we know quite well from his days with the Raptors as well, and even long before the Raptors. He's been a, a fixture in basketball in this country for a long time at so many different levels. Assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors, Jama Malalela. Jama, thanks for the time today. Oh, no problem, E. Thanks for that nice introduction. Good to hear you guys' voices. Good to see you guys the other day. Uh, basketball's a pretty amazing sport, huh? You can travel the world yeah. and meet so many great people. It really is. And, and, and Jamet, you know what? Yeah. I wanted to start yeah. with that kind of big yeah. picture, big picture for a second. And, and, you know, I say this with the utmost respect to you. You know, I could have asked you this question three years ago or two and a half years ago when hoisting the championship. Take me back to a young kid 
Take me back to, I mean, let alone grade school, but high school, college, you know, assistant coach at U of T. To think, Jamma, at, at 40, you know, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Elementary school, let alone high school. To be one day saying, I'm winning an NBA championship with the only team in Canada. Or I'm sitting on the bench beside one of the all-time great shooters, a multi-time champion, uh, and, and coaching one of the greatest in the history of the game in Steph Curry. I'm coaching with Steve Kerr in Golden State. Like, Jamma, that just speaks to not just your talent and your path, but the talent and the path that is in Canada and for so many young Canadians, whether they be players or coaches, that the game has thus created and how so many Canadians are finding success in this game. And that wasn't the case 10 years ago, let alone 20-plus years ago. No, you know, I think he as a story to help to help build into that. So this year with the Warriors, I'm obviously in a different environment, right? I'm not with the Raptors. And it means that, like, for myself and for Andrew Wiggins, after almost every game, we go and seek out the other Canadians, right, on the opposing team. And there's this bond and connection that seems even stronger than when I was with the Raptors for some strange reason. Because maybe we're both, you know, out of our, our, our natural habitat. But, you know, we'll see Dylan Brooks after the game or Shea or any of these players. And there's this great connection about, like, where the game is growing. And that lineage you talk about from going to Oakwood and then, you know, going, going you know, being part of U of T and UBC basketball out west and then, a long journey with the Raptors, it's it's a blessing. You know, I truly, I just feel, so, I pitch myself every day. You know, I'm so lucky to be involved in this great sport at such a good time. And as you guys know, and, and, and the, the part that excites me the most is the people I get to meet. I mean, I you know, you get these incredible relationships. Steph being now the top of the food chain, this yeah. incredible human being that's like so exceptional as a player, but even more so as a person. And you just you enjoy your job every day. And that's just such a lucky thing to be able to do. So I'm just so thankful. Uh, Gemma, I, w- I want to ask you about um, the travel part of it in, in a different way. But, but first, your role as a developmental guy. And I, I mean, Eric and I have seen it for years. I've watched you for years, your enthusiasm, um, you know, your knowledge, getting out there with the guys and, and, and putting the time in. I mean, there's no, there's no way to do it other than get out on the floor. And I know you get calls late at night to go to the gym and shoot. And you're, you're working with guys in the summer and nobody sees you in those gyms and, and you're putting that time in. Have you basically just packed your, your, your package up, your, your developmental kit and brought it to Golden State? Or has it changed a little bit because of the type of team they are? And because and, you find yourself in a situation now where you got young guys you're trying to develop that have are, are kind of quote uh, in the league when he's healthy a James Wiseman and uh, a Juan Toscano Anderson these guys that are still relatively new to the league a few years in but yet you've got Steph and Draymond and and Clay Thompson coming back guys that have won and you're you're kind of in the same situation as Toronto where you're trying to win and develop but it's 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 at a whole nother level now because of uh, you know, what this organization, Golden State, has established with how many championships and finals appearances they've had over the last six, seven years. Yeah, I think, I think Jonesy, there's a lot of, there's, there are a lot of similarities. You know, I think, I think at, its, at its core with player development, you're trying to build confidence in the athlete and consistency in their performance. And I think for most young athletes, that's what they need the most is how do they be consistent? Um, you know, they're in the NBA. They're, they're good already. Like, you know, you're not, you're not sort of doing the, are they good or not? They're already there and they're good. You know, they're one of the best 300 athletes or, or players in the entire universe. So, so it's about how do you build confident? How do you get them consistent? And I think that there's definitely similarities. And if you look at the young sort of Raptor years of five, six, seven years ago with Pascal and Freddie, and they're kind of in that little bit of a bubble of like, it's a pretty good Raptor team at that point, but they're trying to develop. 
And I think we're in a similar situation now with, you know, maybe, you know, higher top end talent with Steph and Draymond, you know, but for Kaminga and for Moody, they're, they're a good team trying to grow. And I tell them all the time that that's such a great opportunity. You know, there's going to be a playoff game, you know, hopefully here down the stretch where they're going to come in and contribute. And I think that's going to build their sort of confidence and build their consistency and build their character as, as good winning athletes that I think will really, you know, stead them through the rest of their career. Um, so it's it's this fun it's this fun journey, and I think you get great examples too. You know, today I'm going to go into the gym, and and I, with Kaminga, there's some post defense stuff I got to work with, and I'm going to bring Draymond to come show it to him because that's the best way you can learn too, right? So I have these great tools, you know, in my toolkit as a, as an educator and teacher that I can I can rely on to help the athletes grow. Hey Jim, just piggybacking on on that, how, how it sounds like I, I know the answer to the question, anyways, but but for the rest of the audience, how do you find that players generally accept are and open to coaching? Because there's some that will sit there and go, oh, this guy probably just assumes he knows everything and doesn't need to work on it, whereas that's the exact opposite. Guys get to this level, and they want to be better. They want to have that coaching. They want to have that direction because that's something they've generally had. So even though they've made it to the show, they still need to tweak and have people you know, help them out in terms of what needs to be adjusted. Yeah, I think I think most NBA players, at least by the time they get to their second or third year, you know, rookies are a little different because it's just they're just fresh to everything. But by the time you get to your second or third year, you realize that staying in the league is actually harder than it was to get there. And I think that motivates athletes to figure, well, what can I do to get better? Because I can't just stay at this level now. Like I got here, that's great. My you know my dream isn't realized. But if I want this to continue, I got to keep growing. So most of the athletes I've worked with, you know, I'm sure I've been around this league for a long time now. They want to improve. You know, they they want the coaching. They want to figure out the little nuances that will take their game to the next level and keep them either you know, from a, a, a mid-level player and maybe bump him to all-star status or just keep him on the roster. So everyone has somewhere, something to prove and somewhere to grow. So that makes it easy. And listen, it's their job. People ask me all the time, is, you know, is it hard to coach like these you know, multi-billion dollar athletes? <laughs> no, they're, they want to learn. You, know, like you just coach them like they're a regular person, like they're a student in your school, Jonesy, right? You just, you just you teach. And, uh, and it works yeah. out well. Yeah. Well, they always say that, Gemma, that, that, that players, the real players want to be coached. They, 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 they want to improve. You know, they, they want to get better. And, and uh, it, it, it's so true when you say that. And, Gemma, I, w- I want to ask you, as a, as a Canadian and as a guy who was with the Raptors for years, and we still hear about it now, all we ever hear about is, well, coming into Canada and the customs and all of that. And now that our... Um, our protocols and our restrictions uh, around COVID are different. Um, and, and maybe you don't know this, maybe it was above your pay grade, but as coaches, I mean, when you guys came in on Saturday, you left six rotation players behind. Um, how much of that was coming to Canada? How much of it was uh, injury slash rest management? And how much of it was looking ahead to, you know, important games on, on Christmas day and, and, and things like that? Because, you know, Steve Kerr said it. He felt like if he got three games on the trip and, and the Warriors came in here three and one, um, he, he was kind of playing with house money. But the perception of Canada now, Jamma, that you're on the other side. Uh, we know what it's like when we're here because people say, oh, customs and this. And that. It's not that difficult. We get used to it. But now that you're on the other side, like, uh, has your perception shifted or do you understand theirs a little bit better? Talk to me about all of that, especially with the travel to Canada in these times. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was, one, it was great for me to come home, you know, and I think that was a special moment for me to be able to come back into the into Scotia Bank and, you know, like, see the see the security guards and the ushers and the people I've been with for so long. So I think that was just nice to see familiar faces, you know, first and foremost, personally for me. And I think talking to, you know, my colleagues, the other coaches and players, like, they love Toronto, you know what I mean? And, like, they have, you know, they've, they've lapped their most recent trip with the finals and beautiful study days in Toronto at that point and, and be like, man, this city is a world-class city. And a lot of them feeling like, oh, this is, like, one of my favorite road trips is to come to Toronto. So, and then I think to answer your question, you know, I think if, if our back-to-back had been anywhere, you know, whatever city the second game after Boston would have been, I think it would have been a similar scenario. So it was, it was much less about, you know, Canada or Toronto or sort of any sort of, you know, Canadian um, challenges versus we're on a back-to-back and we got, you know, guys are starting to get banged up a little bit and we've got a long schedule coming up here. You know, it was a multitude of factors that, that put us to that situation, the very least of it being, being Canada. Because I think if it had been Cleveland had been the second game, it would have been, would have been the same scenario. Um, and what I will say is that, you know, a lot of our players wanted to come. You know, they're like, man, I, oh, I love this trip. This is my favorite trip. So I think the perception changed, right? I think that that uh, hopefully we move past sort of this, you know, all the border, all the cold, all this taxes, all that stuff. Like, you know, everyone knows Toronto's an elite place to go. We, it's, it's viewed as a top franchise amongst people I talk to now. So it, that, that stuff I think we've, we've fixed. Speaking with Jamma Malalela, the assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors. Jamma, what a week it's been as well. I mean, not just for you personally coming back home uh, and, and unfortunately the, the, the headache, the uncertainty that we're all dealing with as far as COVID, but let's talk about happier times. Just a few days ago, happier times at MSG in New York, being a part of history, watching Steph set the record. And, you know, you, you've seen him grow. You, we all have seen him grow, even from his time in Toronto and prior to that in Charlotte. And we all knew this kid was destined for something. But, Jamma, the crazy thing is, and Jonesy and I have talked so much about this, as have a lot of people this last week, to see what he's done at his age and to know he's still going to be in the league a long, long time. And that record is only going to balloon and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Being around him and just being around that moment specifically, just take us through you know, MSG and, and seeing a New York crowd react to an opposing player that way and just the, the, the aura that is Steph Curry, the shooter, the, the, the player that he is. I mean, one, you, you have to start with this contradiction, right? Like, so Steph is like this normal, normal, normal person. You know, you can be on the bus, you know, traveling to the hotel after landing and you sort of regular conversation, regular guy, everything's just normal, right? And then the bus pulls up and there's like 500 people there waiting to see this man. You know, it's this crazy contradiction in your mind of like, he is super duper uber famous, but he's so regular and so normal and so down to earth. So you're sort of in this, this crazy juxtaposition, you know, every time you, you relate to him. And then being at the garden, you know, like, you know, even from the pre-shooting groups when you're out there, you know, like Spike's out there super early. He's got his orange get up on. Like, he's, he's, he's ready to take it all in. And then just celebrity and famous person and, and, and basketball icon just keeps rolling through and you start to see all these faces and the energy's building. And, you know, and we're, I don't know, so two and a half hours before the game still, right? So it was just, it, it sort of, it, it was set on the perfect stage, obviously, right? I think it, it, it you know, you couldn't have, couldn't have mapped it out any better. Um, and then the game begins, and, and what I noticed most, and I thought what was most sort of impressive, one with the New York audience, but just the basketball fans in general, is every time the Warriors got possession of the ball and started to come over the half-court line, everyone stood. I mean, it was a standing ovation just clocking half-court, and Steph hadn't even touched the ball yet, right? So there was this anticipation and this building and this sort of, like, sense <laughs> of, wow, like, this is going to happen. And it, was, it obviously took us a bunch of possessions. Not many. You, you got it done pretty quickly there in that game. But in those first three minutes, like every time he caught half court, the entire arena rose up. And then when he hit the big one, and, you know, great, great love to Wiggs for, for passing it out. Some Canadian content for that one. 
Um, just this really magical moment, right? And you saw the relationship with Draymond and with Steph and, and how special that's been over the years. And I'm just sort of, you know, parachuting into it, you know, as a, as a new person with the team. But you can see, you know, how special it was and what it meant to him. And you can see it in his eyes and his tears, but also celebration with his family um, and, and, his, and his love for his teammates. And I think that was what stood out to me after the game was this genuine love and thankfulness and, and appreciation he had for his teammates. Again, the humbleness comes out all the time with him. So, I, I, again, I feel blessed that I was be able to be part of that, um, you know, and be able to watch history and be part of it. And, and um, it, was, it was a special night without question. Definitely some positiveness in, uh, in today's crazy times. Jamma, uh, two, two things I, I want to ask there, one a, a micro and one a macro around Steve Kerr. Um, what did he say to the team before taking the floor? Because it was going to happen. The guy was going to make more than two threes. Was there anything said? Did, did they? Did you guys try to run something? Okay, let's get the two. Let's get it out of the way and concentrate on the game. Or did you just let it come in the flow? And then talk to me about. Tell me about some of the similarities. This is your man. You've been lucky. You, you worked with Nick Nurse, a championship coach. Now you're working with Steve Kerr, a championship coach. And there's some obvious things in there demeanor deportment attitude towards coaching and the kind of you know it's ne- it's never a big deal and and so talk to me about their similarities and 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 tell me about what it was like going into that game knowing that the record was going to be broken yeah i think you know i think the day before the game or the, you know that right before the game there there wasn't much spoken about the record like i think we all knew it was kind of you know like probably going to happen that game you know we trusted steph enough that we could find find two for him out there somehow but probably the more the more poignant moment was in the Indiana game prior to that, right at about halftime. And we sort of were just just we weren't you know we weren't really all there as a team. We're sort of caught up in the record a little bit, and you know Steph and shooting and and coaches made this really great point. They said, "Listen, he, he's going to break the record. And I'm not sure if it's today or tomorrow or the next day. Like it's going to happen, and we're going to celebrate it with everything we got. But it's going to be a better celebration if we win the game, and that's going to make it even better for all of us to do." Right, and, and it was a sort of realization for us in the Indiana game, like we got to have a better second half here, regardless of Steph's record. And I think that carried through to New York to say, well, let's get the record, but let's also win the game. So you know, you can actually feel incredibly good about 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 uh, about it. And I think that's where a lot of similarities with Coach and, and, and Nick are too. Like, you know, it's, it is about winning, right? And you're trying to win as many of these games as you possibly can. And both are tremendous in, in putting a game plan together to do so. Different, which is great for me to learn from. You know, different mentalities, different philosophies, different coverages, and you know, and, and game plans. But both really heavily sort of like built into how do you win the game on a, on a given night versus a given opponent. So I've been able to sort of learn some new strategies with that. You know, Coach Mike Brown, who's obviously kind of heads our defense, has been tremendous for me in my growth and learning some of the differences again. I, I, I would say that from a defensive standpoint, you know, Adrian Griffin is one of the best and, and Mike Brown one of the best. So I've had two great this sort of defensive minds and two great head coaches. So it's all gravy for me. I just get to learn and enjoy and try to implement as much as I can. So, um, you know, and I think with Steve, just to add on to that, what I've learned most with, and I think – I think you knew he was a great person. Like, I think that sort of reputation comes with him. But I've been so impressed with him as just a coach as well. Like, his X's and O's and his, his, his game plan management. Like, it's, it's elite. Like, it's just incredible to watch the calmness and the strategy and sort of the execution that, that goes into every game for us. Um, and then he's even better as a person than he thought, right? So it just, it's, just, it's perfect to sort of spend time with him. And, and uh, he is a true, a true champion. Hey, Jim, I wanted to follow up on that a little bit more. And, again, we're speaking with uh, Golden State Warriors assistant coach Jemma Malalela. Jemma, when, when I think about personalities, and I, I know Kerr a little bit, um, you know, some of the names you just mentioned when, when it's Mike Brown and Adrian Griffin and obviously Nick Nurse, 
Listen, as Jonesy often says, and, and Jonesy, I don't know if it's the Charles Oakley line, but there's you know more than one way to cook chicken. There are a lot of screamers and yellers in coaching, whether we're talking at grade school, high school, college, pros. But I think of you, I think of Steve Kerr, uh, and I think about two guys, and listen, I'm sure you've got pissed off and angry and yelled at guys before. I'm sure Kerr has and maybe does so regularly as well. But what we see more than anything is calm, balanced, uh, approachable, uh, analytical, thoughtful, uh, heartfelt, but also X's and O's and everything else. How do you balance that, being uh, a good person, being a, a calm mind and a calm body, while also dealing with the insanity, the chaos of a professional sports franchise, coaching a team, coaching egos and money and talent and wins and the pressure, and not allowing it to snowball to the point where you are that rough, tough, screamer, yeller, where the pressure and the stress gets to you. It's, it's got to be a tough balance, and it's got to be something strong inside your mind, let alone inside your heart. I know that's kind of philosophical and, and fluffy, but I, I truly believe it. Yeah, no, listen, I think that, I think that you know, a few different answers. One is that I think you have to be yourself, right? I think players see through the, the, the fake right away. Right. So like I use this great analogy with like, in the, you know, those in, in the, on the audience and listening, I remember Jerry Stackhouse as a coach of the Raptors 905. And I was so you know, lucky and thankful to take over from him and, and be the 905 head coach for a few years as well. But we were fundamentally different coaches, you know, and, and Stack could not have coached the way I coached. And I couldn't have coached the way Stack coached because it wasn't who we were. You know, I that I am someone who is naturally more calm and, and love people and sort of just, you know, that's just part of who I am. So one, it's a natural carryover. And I think Coach Kerr is very similar. When you see his, his daily demeanor, that's you know that's who he is. Um, so that's part one. Uh, part two is that I think that the consistency is important. Like you know, you heard me speak earlier. Like I'm I'm looking for my my athletes to be consistent. But if I'm inconsistent, well, how can I accept that? So being the same every day, I think, really matters. And coach, I learned that from Coach Casey, right? He's just, he's sort of very consistent and, and and brings the same things every day. Um, and I think that's really important because it allows the athlete a good space in which to grow. So they're not they're not sort of guessing. Oh shoot, what what mood is Coach going to be in today? It's like, I know what he's going to be at, so I know what, how I can get better. Um, you know, and, and I think lastly, like, like I, I think with coaching and with sort of overall demeanor, it's about, it's about how you choose your, your larger perspective on life. And I think, you know, for, for my 905 days, like I, I talked a lot about sunny days. And you guys, you know, have heard me talk about, you know, this, this sense of a sunny day. And I remember Bruno Caboclo and, and Lucas Nguyen, my Brazilian guys from back in the day, and they'd be a gray, cloudy day in Toronto. And I'd sort of say, guys, it's a sunny day. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a blizzard outside. But it's sunny day can be built inside, and you can choose to have a sunny day. And I think one funny story, so I was interviewing with the Warriors, obviously, and, and I mentioned this sort of this thing about sunny days. And, uh, and a few weeks later, Coach Kerr said, when I heard you say that, I knew, I knew we knew it would be a great match. And that was really nice to hear. And I think that me and him really get along and have very, very similar personalities and, and view the world in very similar ways, and that's made it a great working relationship. Hey, Jamma, uh, listen, we appreciate the time tonight. I'll just quickly pass on to you and Jonesy. Just literally came along as you were, uh, as you were, you know, giving that answer. Boston Celtics signing C.J. Miles to the hard, hardship exemption yeah. uh, rule. So C.J. back in the league, the 15-year veteran. Certainly good news, uh, as you know the guy quite well as well, Jamma. But listen, we appreciate your time and your insight today, Jamma. All the best for the holiday season. Stay safe and healthy, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Proud of you, Jams. Proud of you, man. There is Jamma Malalela, assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors. And, Jonesy, to, to follow up on that, what you just said, you, you know, I know him, but you know him a hell of a lot better and have known him for a long time. And just, the, you know, you said it, proud of him. You've seen him rise through the ranks 
um, from you know you shouted out Oakwood and 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 even before that that you know I, I I'm so impressed by the fact that you know I I watch the game now and I see him sitting there beside Steve Kerr and to think the path for so and I said it off the top the path for so many Canadians and I know you and I have touched on this I think even on the air but certainly off the air I'll say it if you won't if we fast forward or actually I guess not fast forward rewind in time Jonesy if you had a team in Toronto in the 70s or even prior to that or even a little bit after that there's probably a good chance that if you weren't playing in the league you'd be coaching the league it's great that you've had a 25 plus year career as a broadcaster but you probably would have been on a bench in some capacity because you were one of those guys as a as a hoop head original guy growing up in the in the era that you did and the opportunity unfortunately wasn't there to the extent that it is for so many other Canadians now and you know maybe tough for you but so good for future generations that are coming up now saying man I might not be good enough to be a player but I can be a coach and if I can't be a coach maybe I can be a trainer a broadcaster whatever it may be the jobs that the league even just one team has opened up it's huge for future generations yeah, and, and I always say that, and I look at it like that. They, you know, again, the, uh, the pioneers get the hardships, and and uh, the settlers get the spoils. And and uh, you know, there there are people that, I mean, I people looked at me, and when I when I came out of school at uh, at, at University of Western Ontario in '84 with three different degrees, and I'm like, okay, I want to be a coach now. And people people looked at me like. Like I had three heads and they said, you want to do what? I said, I want to be a coach. I want to be a basketball coach. I had my national certification and I was, you know, I was coaching all high school all-star teams and coaching my high school and coaching provincial teams and, and, and studying the craft and watching NBA games. And I got a whole book full of plays and, you know, a, a, a guy that we both know, a mentor to us in basketball, Michael Cates, who ended up coaching with the Olympic team in 2000. We would sit and talk about plays, and when I was coaching high school all-star teams, I'd say, uh, "How about this box set that Indiana runs and the cross screen and like all of those things?" And they're just—it just wasn't here. It just the opportunity wasn't here. And I remember having a, a conversation with uh, a big TV executive in '92 at the Olympics in Barcelona when I was covering the Dream Team, and my brother had already left, and I said, "No, I want to stay in Toronto because if I can't coach." I know as a world-class city, at some point, at some point in my lifetime, the NBA can't deny Toronto. It's going to come there. And just three short years later, there was there was a team here. And for me, that's when I made the pivot, when I realized, and, and you know, I probably could have stuck with it, been a, a starving coach, but that's when I made the pivot to go into the media side of things. But you know, make no mistake, I'm always sitting there with the X's and O's and, 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 and watching plays and breaking things down. And... And it's great to see guys like like Jamma, like Nathaniel Mitchell, like the, these Roy Rana, these young guys coming up that have the passion for coaching. And at least there's an opportunity for them. And and you know, I man, I hope they take it and run with it. And and we get to see a Canadian head coach one day in the NBA, or you know, like a Tamara Tatum with U of T, or somebody like that. In you know, make their uh, make their way up in the WNBA. Chantal Valet, who like in Windsor, like like. We have so many great coaches here now on both sides of the game, men and women. Um, you know, I just I got my fingers crossed that one day they make it to the pinnacle and are are, are running a, an NBA or a WNBA bench. Uh, folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.